Welcome to another episode of Keeping It Simple. My name is Luis Sanchez. I'm the director of the Simple Church Collective and a host of the Keeping It Simple podcast. And I'm Scott Callantine, co-host of the podcast and resident of the Simple Church Collective. Thanks for joining us for this episode. Let's get started. Hey, you guys, welcome back to Keeping It Simple. Today we have Steve Pike. Steve, say hello to the people. Hey, everybody. Good to be here. I love the Simple Church Collective. I love what you guys are doing. So I'm really honored to be part of this conversation. Excellent. Well, I met Steve Pike um, probably maybe a little bit like a year ago or so when a mentor of mine handed me his book, The Next Wave. And um, I've been kind of following him from the distance uh, about a year now. So, Steve, tell us a little bit about yourself for the people that do not know you, a little bit about your family, uh, ministry. What are you up to these days? Yeah, well, I've I've been married for almost forty five years. Um, I have two grown kids and uh, four grandkids, um, and uh, very we 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 all kind of live near each other in Colorado, so we're loving life right now. Um, my ministry journey has been uh, I was a youth pastor in three different churches way, way back in the day. Uh, and from there, uh, the last church I was at was kind of a mega church, big church. Uh, and I was the senior high pastor and I felt like God called my wife and I to go start a church in Utah from scratch. Mm-hmm. And so we moved to Utah and um, didn't know what we were doing. It was in the long before there were any kind of resources like Exponential or the Simple Church Collective or anybody helping people think about it. Uh, we just sort of prayed a lot and mm. tried a bunch of stuff. And by God's grace, we saw a church raised up and then helped start five other churches out of that church and uh, ended up becoming a regional director of church planning for a denomination. Then I ended up as the national director for the church planning for the denomination um, and then felt really, really uh, compelled to figure out how to help the presence of the church be increased in cities in urban contexts. And so uh, left that post at the national office for the denomination and jumped out and started this nonprofit called Urban Islands Project, which is now morphing into what we call the next wave community, which is a community that it's a it's, it's a place, it's an ecosystem where the future of the church is being created in real time. It's really fun. We have all these people learning from each other together in real time to figure out how to be the church in all of the hard and challenging places and nooks and crannies of culture and society. So that's kind of a quick flyover of me. Well, thanks for sharing, man. Colorado. We were just kind of talking about this offline this week. Uh, the Seahawks played the Broncos, your Broncos, man. And we just eked one out. It sounded like you said, like, man, they just gave it away. But it's a great start to the NFL football season. Yeah, yeah. You had to bring that up. <laughs> I had to. I, I had okay. I had to bring it up, Steve. <laughs> man, man, you, that is brutal. Okay, I'll, I'll remember this. I'll remember this. <laughs> the, 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 um, the book that you mentioned, The Next Wave, man, it's it's amazing. My uh, buddy Micah uh, uh, gave this to me. You call this thing that you're working on now, The Next Wave Community. Um, you tell us about the book, how it came about, like, you know, what led you to, to pen it? Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, the idea that I had when I when I left the national office, what I what I didn't see, I saw uh, there were there were a lot of people who had come up with sort of a lot of great ideas and quote unquote formulas for starting churches 
in suburban communities. Mm -hmm. But what I didn't see was anything that was helpful and comprehensive for people going to urban places. And increasingly, well, there's always been people in the cities, but there's actually been sort of a repopulation of of the urban cores of cities. And, and, um, you know, it's sort of more, a lot of people think that the suburbs are the only place that's growing, but many city centers are actually growing in population. And so wherever there are people, uh, you know, God loves people and he yeah. wants his church to be there and be present. And so that really bugged me. And I, and I wanted to figure out why are we not going, we were going to suburbs pretty well, but we weren't going to the cities as well. So I thought, you know, I need to go figure this out. So that was the idea. So I came to Denver. I said, let's find 10 church planners and start 10 churches in the same city at the same time and figure it out together. We managed to find seven uh, people who were uh, couples and teams that were willing to come into Denver and start in different neighborhoods in Denver at the same time. And that's kind of the story of Next Wave. Out of that, we realized, we discovered these 12 shifts that as they were going through this process, they realized, wait, if you're going to be successful in an urban context, you've got to shift your thinking the way we've thought about in the 20th century to a more 21st century mindset. And then we realized, I realized in conversation with my friends, those 12 shifts weren't just about urban. They're about everywhere. Yeah. And so I, uh, you know, I, that I felt like compelled, okay, I need to tell people what we're learning as fast as I can. So, the, you know, one of the ways to do that is get a book out there. So we wrote the book, and then out of that really came the community because a culture is shifting and changing so fast that, you know, writing something gets old pretty fast. We need to keep the, the learning together as we go. And so that's what the learning community is about. You talk about these 12 shifts, Steve. Um, man, I know there's 12, but can you run us through like the ones that you want us to hear about today? <laughs> well, yeah, there are 12 and it's sort of like, you know, having 12 kids are all important uh, and you don't want to leave anything out. But, you know, in our in our time today, I, I think the ones that really, really resonate with people that I have found when, when we talk about it, we, we really end up talking about three of them. Number two is reimagining discipleship. Number three is reinventing funding. And number eight is refreshing the metrics. Those three are, are, again, the other ones, there's there's super value in all the other ones, but those three are the ones people go, yeah, boy, that's right. We need to figure this out. So yeah, th- maybe we can just zero in on those three today. Yeah, let me read the list and then we'll, uh, we'll yeah, yeah, zero go for in it. on those three. So uh, shift one, rediscover the church. Shift two, reimagine discipleship. Shift three, reinvent funding. Shift four, rethink team building. Shift five, redeem architecture. Uh, shift six, reclaim the ecosystem. Shift seven, recalibrate the timeline. Shift eight, uh, refresh the metrics. Shift nine, refocus church habits. Shift 10, reconsider core values. And shift 11, uh, recommit to multiplication. And shift 12, reactivate spirit dependence. So mm-hmm. for the sake of time, we'll focus on the three that you mentioned. But you guys can go out and go get this book um, mm-hmm. uh, when you have the time. Uh, and it's chock full of great, great stuff. So talk to me about reimagining discipleship. What does that yeah. look like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, again, just that's a really complicated subject, and and it's I'm oversimplifying 
what happened in the 20th century, but generally speaking, discipleship, when you ask a typical church, even today, many churches will say, when you ask them about their discipleship program, what they will tell you, the answer will be something about, well, when somebody becomes a believer, then we take them through these phases of spiritual formation and development, whatever. So they have like 101, 201. They have some kind of intentional plan to help somebody who's decided to follow Jesus grow in the knowledge and wisdom and the practice of following Jesus, which is definitely part of the definition of discipleship. But what we realized was, you know, so you go into a typical urban community and you just don't have the critical mass of people who are already following Jesus and are looking to be discipled if discipleship only is talking about what happens to somebody who's already following Jesus. A lot of the places we need to go the number of people uh, that are that are that that are that are in that community that are not following Jesus far exceeds the number that are, and so you you really have to think about how you move people toward faith in Jesus, as well as grow in faith in Jesus. And some people think of that as evangelism. I'm not going to fight a battle about it. Except here's the thing. We we started looking at how did Jesus make that? I mean, a good way a good way to figure out what our discipleship needs to look like is to look at how Jesus made disciples. And what I see him doing is walking down the seashore and talking to a fisherman and saying, Hey, why don't you follow me? He's not asking them even at that point, he's not saying, recognize me as the Lord and savior, recognize me as the Messiah, none of that stuff. He's just saying, follow me, hang out with me. And so, uh, you know, I always ask the question, when did the disciples become Christians? And the funny thing is, I get a lot of different answers to that question, but nobody's ever said, well, the minute that they started following Jesus, they became a Christian, because that's not really supported. If we understand what being a Christian means, it means you've surrendered your heart to God, you've, you've repented of your sins, you've turned. They didn't do that. That, that hadn't happened yet. That, that did happen later on for them. And, and so when did they actually become Christians? Here, so the whole point of that is, that Jesus started making disciples of them before they became Christians. And so we realized that part of part of our process of discovering this was starting this church in Utah. Um, we started realizing that when people came to faith, they often went through some phases of, of moving toward Jesus that were actually kind of everybody goes through these phases. And so we identify, we said, you know, what are those phases? Well, the first thing that usually happens is they become aware of somebody who's following Jesus, just, no. just aware. They just know that they're there. Um, and so the, so as a follower of Jesus, one of the things we can do to start making disciples is make people aware of us in a positive way. You know, right. that's something you can actually consciously think about doing. And then the second thing is, uh, when they move from awareness to connection and we define connection as they, you, you know, their name, they know your name and you're praying for the, excuse me, they know, you know, their name and you're praying for them. And so, uh, you know, again, that's a, that's, that's a step toward Jesus. The fact that they know you, they know that you know them and whether they know it or not, you're praying for them. Prayer doesn't, you don't need permission to pray for people um, when it's a private thing. So you just start praying for people. That brings in the supernatural element that, you know, God's already been working in their heart. Now you're joining with the Holy Spirit and seeing God work in their heart. The third thing is relationship. You know, we saw, we realized that people that came to Jesus, they became friends with somebody who's a believer. So they went from awareness to connection 
to friendship where they're, you know, whatever, going to meals together, uh, recreating together, working together, just going to school, whatever, togetherness, and they're sharing their stories. They're sharing their, so we say relationship means you're sharing your story. You know their story, and they know that you know their story, and you meet with them on a regular basis. Well, that all leads to, that sets up the next thing that precedes the salvation moment, and that is spiritual conversations. At some point, they realize, that person begins to realize you are following Jesus, and you would like for them to follow Jesus. Yeah. And they start, you know, that opens up the door for spiritual conversations. And so what we suggest is the same level of intentionality that churches exhibit on the post-salvation uh, moment side of, of disciple making. They need to exhibit that on the pre-salvation. So how are you making people aware of you in a positive way? How are you connecting with people, learning people's names and praying for them? How are you forming relationships, creating environments where you're you're hanging out with people just to hang out? Um, no no uh, agenda there, but just, just a real authentic friendship. And then uh, how do you have spiritual conversations? How are you intentionally creating environments mm-hmm. to have spiritual conversations? And when churches start making that as intentional on that pre-conversion side, then they're going to start seeing more people come to faith in Christ, and then they can help them on that post-conversion journey of growing. So we say it's, you know, you, you, you're either, disciple-making is you're either helping people move toward faith in Jesus or grow in their faith in Jesus, and it's all disciple-making. And we even say evangelism sort of happens in the middle of that. That's that's the part where they realize, oh, I need to repent. There, There is, evangelism is legitimate, but we don't think it's evangelism and then discipleship. We think discipleship's the whole thing. Evangelism happens in the middle. But we're not going to fight about that. We, just, You know, yeah. you need to be intentional about helping people move toward Jesus, whether you call that discipleship or evangelism. Yeah. The point is, you got to reimagine it. You got to build your church around it. So for some churches, that actually means they say, you know what? Everything we do to help people grow in faith in Jesus, we're going to do something like that on the other side, helping people move toward faith in Jesus. So maybe you have a small group to study Hebrews or something like that. Well, maybe you could have a small group on the other side to study, say, the book by Tim Keller, Making Sense of God, which is a great book to help somebody who doesn't yet believe in God start to go, well, maybe maybe there is a God. Okay, so that's a, have a small group. There's So so do something on, you know, if you do something here, do something here, and it balances out. So you're, you're helping people move toward Jesus and grow with Jesus. Love it. Love it. There's such, such, uh, uh, depth there. And I love that. I love that you guys have kind of given some vocabulary to this, right? Cause so much of like transferring information is like finding the right words to use to transfer it. And then even just moving from that awareness. And I know that, that you kind of just ran us through um, half of that open hands diagram that you have in your book. And, and I found that to be one of the most helpful things, uh, you know, um, moving people from awareness all the way to multiplication, right? Like saying, Hey, are are they positively aware of a person that knows Jesus? You know, are you making positive connections? Are you in a relationship with them that they like are glad to be a part of, you know? Um, And then are spiritual conversations naturally emerging? And then do they get a sense of belonging, right? Like we talk about belonging before you believe. A lot of us have said that. And I know um, uh, Alan Hirsch too is talking about discipleship begin prior to conversion. You know, discipleship begins prior to conversion. And so love that. And and we we love walking with people. 
um, as they are making their way to Jesus, you know? And for us here in the Seattle area, for those of you guys who are listening locally, I mean, it was, will take years because the church has such a bad name. Even prior to the whole craziness of 2016 leading up to 2020, like there was, it was already a byword here. And so we have, you know, to be a people that are patient. And that's for some of us who are movers and shakers, like, you know, that's going to take a, a little bit of time and just saying, hey, it's the Lord's time. And, but we're starting to see even now as, 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 you know, with the collective, we're starting to see people move towards that. And that belonging piece is so key, is so key. Um, we have one of our simple churches, by no effort of our own, seven pastor kids come to this, and all of them have the bruises, you know, and the scars to prove it, you know. Um, we, didn't, we didn't do that on purpose, you know. It just so happened. And somebody once said to me recently, they said, house church or simple church is either people's first step in to the church or last step out or last step out. And in our context, we're seeing like people are, let's give this a try one last time. And Rich, Rich Velotis, I don't, I don't know if you know that name, but Rich has said, if um, uh, a lot of times the Lord uses a thing that hurt you to heal you. So if community is the thing that hurt you, maybe he'll use a different community to, to heal you. And we, and we hope that that's the case, but keeping our eye on like, you know, reimagining what discipleship looks like, and we're not wasting our time. You know, we're just coming alongside these people uh, on their journey and creating spaces of belonging and at the, you know, at the time and space of the Lord. So you talked about that. Talk to me about reinventing funding, because that's a real question. And we have several episodes on this. Maybe we should do just an episode with you on that. Well, but, well, uh, man, I, this is a big one, uh, and here's the deal. Here's the problem: is our the the prevailing model of church planning? We we put instead of disciple making being the first thing, it's what we do after we get the gathered church coming together in a big meeting, and and so the problem with that with with making so so what we say is if you're going to rediscover the church you you've got to realize that the purpose of the church is to be a community of disciples with Jesus on his mission that's the purpose of the church is to and and so if that's the purpose of the church you the way you start a church is by starting to make disciples well the problem with that is how do you pay for you to be there you know the leader uh, because the model we currently have is you get a bunch of tithe paying people together as fast as you can get the services going and then start trying to make disciples but the problem is most churches never really get around to making disciples in a broadband way that we're just talking about. So here's the thing. you got to solve this funding problem. And I've got great news for you. Um, the, the, the model so, – so the great news, the bad news is the model of the 20th century is no longer going to be viable. The idea that um, churches can be funded by, the, by tithes and offerings alone and, and be sustainable is just, is just not going to be a, a reality in, in 10 to 20 years from now for sure and it's happening all over. So so we've got to have a different model of funding. The good news is God has not left us. The, this idea that the only right way for a church to be funded is through tithes and offerings, it's just not, it's not a biblical idea. It's never been really part of how the church functioned. But we we, we sort of bought into this idea that that's, that's a sign of a healthy church is that it's funded by tithes and offerings alone. So in the book, we talk about 
five categories of funding that can be cultivated to create a, a solid foundation for a disciple-making movement in a community, and it's not dependent on tithes and offerings. It does include tithes and offerings. That's one of them. That that's a stewardship thing, though. It's never it was never meant to be the 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 way that a church is is completely funded is just through tithes and offerings. It's really more about a disciple making deal. You know, when people your heart is where your treasure your treasure is where your heart is. Um, so giving protects our heart from our, our own, you know, uh, selfishness and our own greed and all that kind of stuff. That's why we give. It's not to pay bills. Bills do get paid, but that's not why we give. Right. So so tithes and offerings are one. Second one is donative giving, you know, cultivating. There's people who who you know that God will move on their hearts and say, man, I believe uh, that that Lewis has to be in that community he's in and raise up that church. And so I'm going to give some money. And they, they live in Florida or something like right. that. They're never going to come to your church. So those are donative givers. And then there's the co-vocational, the bivocational, the tri-vocational, whatever you want to call it, yep. where the leader actually does other things. And so for for example, this is a this has just happened yesterday. So we have a group on the next wave uh, community. We have these we have other communities that are forming. And this one's called I Help Pastors Get Jobs. And this group is just a fabulous group where these guys get together and they're helping each other get jobs. And yesterday they had one of the guys, he joined the group just a month ago and um now has yesterday was was signed on with a company where he's going to be making 80 grand a year it's all remote work so he doesn't ever have to go into an office they understand he's a pastor he's going to be pastoring that church it's totally compatible compatible with being a pastor of a church and he's in a, a, a hardcore urban community he wants to be there it'll never support him um so anyway that's that's what that co-vocational thing is about and and that's what i when we when i say we're inventing the future of the church we're literally helping people make a pivot because people hear this all the time all become a bivocational co-vocational but they go i have no idea how to do that that's what this group is about um the fourth category is nonprofit partnerships where you partner with other you know, well-meaning groups within the community. And then the fifth one is nonprofit or excuse me, for-profit partnerships where if so, you know, my, my friend, um, so my friend Jose Perez calls me up and he says, Hey, God had called me to start a church in downtown Minneapolis, but I cannot figure out the ROI. Hmm. And most church planners don't use that language. So I'm like, this guy has some business background. So I said, I said, Jose, the answer to your question is probably in your story. Tell me your story. He says, oh, I grew up in the nation of Venezuela. I became a professional dancer. I started a dance studio, ended up owning a chain of dance studios across the, the, the uh, entire country. I said, okay, Jose, do people in downtown Minneapolis need to know how to dance? He said, see, si. do you know how to start a dance studio? See, si. um, I said, and then he went, oh, and he realized, wait, a dance studio is a big room. And we put some chairs in there. It could be a church, you know. So uh, <laughs> it, six months later, he started One Reason Dance Studio. Six months after that, he opened the church. Most of the people that came to faith started with dancing, learned how to dance with Jesus, <laughs> and became part of the church. And so, you know, that's a that's a for-profit example where he was tapping into something that was in his background. But there's there, each you have to think of each of these categories as a category. So there's lots of ways that you can harvest revenue out of a for-profit strategy. There's lots of ways to harvest revenue out of nonprofit, co-vocational, 
um, donor and even ties and offerings, you can work on that. So that's, you got to get that right. And here's the cool thing. Now we have people moving to the communities and they're, they're already financially secure when they move in. They don't have to rush out there and get a bunch of tithe pairs right. together to make them financially secure. I think that's your story, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. You know, you didn't come there desperate to get a bunch of tithe pairs. You came there desperate to help people know Jesus, yeah. and you didn't care yeah. how much money was there. You know? Yeah, we had, and, and we, we like to think of it a diff- as different streams, right? And we talk about that, and, and you know, we've, we've got streams, and we're connected to a larger body of other you know, uh, a church family, a denomination, and we've got, well, that's your nonprofit. That's that, a nonprofit stream is right. your church body is helping you with some that, money. Yeah. Other local churches that believe in what we're doing. And then we do have tithing. Yep. Yep. And we, and, um, I'm also a bivocational, trivocational kind of person. I'm actually working on stuff today. Um, and then we're actually thinking about launching some businesses also, Right now, in the so you've got that. so it sounds like you've got all five channels yeah, covered, so streams, whatever. In, yeah. in November, thinking about sometime this year, I, I made a goal for myself this year that I would uh, launch a business. Now, next summer, we want to launch a food truck business. We're throwing this out there, but we got a couple of steps to go because I don't like being in debt. So we want to buy the food truck outright, and so we want to raise some capital and, and launch another business before then. And so, yeah, man, we're thinking about it. And and whoever is listening to this, this next wave community that Steve is uh, talking about, he, uh, before we sign off here in a bit, he's you know make sure to to look into it. These guys are doing some really cool stuff real time. Um, but it's real, man. There's a lot of people who are looking at the future of the church and saying, hey, we can't keep doing the same things that we've been doing and try to get different results. We need to do things differently. And I think these guys are on the cusp of like really just kind of speaking it and then walking it out and kind of trying um, different things. And so last thing, refreshing the metrics, Steve. Um, what does that look like and why is that important? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, again, uh, what happened in the 20th century church is the, the the way we thought about whether a church was doing great or not was was really just summarized in two metrics. How much, how many people show up on Sunday to hear you talk and how much money they put in the offering. Those were the two metrics. So everybody wanted to know how many you're running or, you know, whatever. And And what they meant by that was, Literally, how many people show up to hear you talk on Sunday? Well, of course, COVID, mm. <laughs> COVID blew that out of the water. Talk because about it. all of a sudden, nobody knew. Like, wait, how, how many? We don't know because we're not gathering anymore. So that that metric was blown out. Um, you know, thanks to online giving, many churches did okay through COVID because they people were still giving, and that that was a blessing. But here's the thing. Um, I say that those two metrics are kind of like deciding whether a car is operating correctly based on how fast it's going and how much gas is in the tank. Okay, so you've got your two gauges, you've got your speedometer and your fuel gauge, and your the speedometer says you're going 80 miles an hour, which means in most places you're breaking the speed limit, and you're um, you've got a full tank of gas. Well. That sounds like good news until you get the rest of the information is that you're going downhill, you're headed for a cliff, you, you don't have any brakes. Now, is it a good thing to be going 80 miles an hour with a full tank of gas? No. So you need more information mm. than just how many people and how much money to tell you if a church is healthy. And so we started thinking about if the purpose of the church is to be a disciple-making community, a community of disciples uh, who are with Jesus on his mission, which is to make disciples who make disciples, we said, 
how do we measure that? Because because that those two numbers they tell you some of it, but they don't tell you all of it. So what we did was, and you referred to this earlier, you just drew a picture of two hands just to help people think of this. There's the, you know, one hand is the pre-conversion side of disciple making. The other hand is the post-conversion. We said maybe instead of two metrics, what if we had ten metrics that is sort of more a little bit more complex, but it tells you more, it gives you more information because then you can go, wait, we don't have very many things going on in these two things, and that's part of how people grow towards multiplication. As you pointed out, we want to help people move from, you know, they don't know God and they, they're not aware of anybody who knows God to they are multiply they are a multiplier. They're actually helping other people follow Jesus. So how do we do that? Well, awareness, connection, relationship, uh, spiritual conversations, belong, believe, and then, um, and honestly, I can't remember the other four. I, I need to pull out my, my own book and remember Engage, what I Engage, grow, minister, yeah, yeah. and multiply. Right. Thank you. Thank you. But the, and, and the idea was those aren't, none of that is actually researched in the sense that, you know, it's, it's this, the engage thing that, that, that that's a specific thing. But what I'm suggesting is on the, on the, what, what you want to be, you want to be measuring those things. So instead of saying, well, you know, we had a hundred people show up for church, ask, well, how many people did we meet in the last month that we learned their names and we're praying for them? Okay. That's, that's a number you need to know. Um, how many people did we have meals with this past month? Yeah. And you start asking, you start measuring those kinds of things, and you're actually probably going to start doing less things that are just designed to gather Christians and more things that are designed to help Christians interact with other people that are helped, that are designed to help celebrate. So like I referred to earlier, you might even have like a you know, here in Colorado, mountain biking and Washington too, mountain biking, you know, a mountain bike group where you just get together. That counts on this thing. That's a relationship building group. And so, you know, in the last month, uh, the church, uh, people of the church d connected with a hundred people in relationship building activities. Well, um, this, so, so having this um, spectrum in mind, and here's the thing you got to notice is to end up with one multiplier. This is like a big funnel to end up with one multiplier. You have to start with a lot of people aware of you in a positive way. So it balances out what you're doing, because if you only just think about, let's turn people into multipliers, most of us would think, okay, we need to have a class for that. And you get mm -hmm. focused on that. And mm -hmm. it's just, you end up with a small number and all your energy is going to small, but you've got to, to get to that small number. You've got to start with a big number over here. You got to make uh, thousands of people aware of you in a positive way so that hundreds of them, you learn their names and begin praying for them. And, and maybe a hundred of them you uh, are in relationship with, and some of them you're having spiritual conversations, and then some of them end up belonging. And so on this, on this spectrum, the belonging thing is, is what we would often call the, the weekly worship gathering. That needs to, that, that's ideally a belonging place where people can come, whether they're following Jesus yet or not, and feel welcomed and feel embraced and hear something, but, but they get there by that relational connectivity. So, so that's kind of the flyover of that. The idea is we've got to change the metrics and we're just offering something. We're not saying this is the be all end all answer to the metric question, but we are saying what you measure determines what you get. And so, you mm. know, again, if you're just measuring how, how many people show up 
and that's the thing you care about, well, then all you're really going to be doing is trying to figure out how do we get people into the building to hear me preach. Um, but if you say what we care about is how many people are making disciples who make disciples, right. then you're going to be focusing your energy in a whole different direction. And you're going to care about other things besides just how many people show up to hear us preach. Dude, this has been a great conversation just for fun. Okay. We'll talk about the next wave. Let's forecast a bit, two to three waves from now. Okay. You and I are probably not going to be here, right? Let's be honest. Let's be honest. You and I are probably not going to be here. What qualities will the 22nd century century leader need to have? Yeah, yeah. Well, to reach people. I, I actually think the waves are going to be coming faster now. So mm. we might be here for the second or third one. But uh, I think that, it, you know, my expectation would be that the the leader who's going to be effective two to three waves into the future is going to number one they're going to have a super robust personal relationship with jesus that's going to be super important important to them Uh, and and it almost seems like yeah duh but but man we've just had too many examples Mm. where that wasn't the priority of people i think the second thing is um we're going to move from uh from seeing um uh, well, it's authenticity is the word. Authenticity in everything. People don't want to be sold to. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be. And I and I think that's that's only going to increase as everything becomes. You're, you know, one of the one of the future trends, and it's we're seeing the beginnings of it right now, is this metaverse world mm-hmm. where people are. You know, our kids probably are. I don't know. I don't know what's our kids or grandkids, but. But they're they're going to start to be comfortable with with augmented reality or virtual reality, where um, they're they're interacting with people who are they're not with. It. Like right now, this is this is like two D. You know, you're mm-hmm. flat, I'm mm-hmm. flat. Mm-hmm. But there's going to be a day when you're going to look in a room of people, and through um, whatever whatever technology allows it to happen, they're going to be. It's going to look like there's physical people there, mm-hmm. but they're actually not there. They're actually somewhere else and they're being projected into this room. And so you can interact with them. But if you if you reach out and touch them, your hand's going to go right through them because they're just a projection. And 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 so anyway, here's the thing in a world like that, where you don't even know what's real or not, authenticity is going to be the 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 thing that wins the day is real, personal. And you can still have authenticity in this uh, virtual world. But but being a real person, not not hiding behind some uh, avatar, you know, but being a, a real person that people can relate to is going to be super important. And I think the other thing is here, my my expectation is the church. So I, I, I did a whole it's on the it's on the next wave platform. Um, I did a whole thing on Omni Church. I think the next the next thing that is going to become the common expression of the church is what you're doing is an Omni Church expression. I, I, I think you have the Simple Church Collective is you know you sort of have a hub organization that's helping a bunch of smaller groups um, reach their community you know uh, touch their nook and cranny i think that's going to become the norm instead of churches being celebrated because they gather a lot of people in one space mm-hmm. they're going to be celebrated because they empower a lot of people to go make disciples in a hundred maybe a thousand different ways and they'll have a connectivity that allows for that creativity and that diversity and yet there's some basic stuff that they're bringing people together around i think that's going to become the norm instead of the exception man 
Wow. This conversation has been so rich, Steve. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to pour into our people, to pour into the people that listen to this podcast. Last thing, how can people stay connected to you, your work, your ministry? How can they join the Next Wave community? Talk to us. Yeah, just go to nextwave.community. It's that simple, nextwave.community. And there's you can buy the book there. You can join the community there. You can get in touch with me through there. All of, all of that information is in that one place. So it's just nextwave, and one word, nextwave.community. That's the website. Perfect. Well, thanks so much again, brother. We appreciate you. Hope to have you on again in the future. Uh, man, I'm going to be chewing on, on this stuff for a little while. So hopefully our listeners do too. God bless All you guys. Right. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you'd like to support us more, check out our podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash keeping it simple podcast. If not, we'd love your support through subscribing, sharing episodes, and liking and reviewing the podcast. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more episodes to come.